What do you get when you mix someone who loves true crime and horror movies with someone who's afraid of their own shadow? Someone like you? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. You get the perfect podcast. We're Carmen and Joanna of Live, Laugh, Murder podcast. We're not your typical true crime show. Here at Live, Laugh, Murder, we tell stories that might be true crime or they might be the plot of a horror film. Can you tell the difference? Don't worry though, because all is revealed by the end. We are true crime sometimes. So check us out. We release bi-weekly on Saturdays. And remember to live, laugh, but never what, Joanna? Murder. Never murder. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals. So please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker. And I bet when you saw Crime Scene and Cupcakes was covering a serial killer in the Midwest, you figured, oh wow, Crime Scene and Cupcakes is covering BTK again? No. No, I really don't like that guy and I didn't like to have to cover him the first time. Today, we are talking about the I-70 killer. For those of you who may not know, the I-70 killer is an unidentified American serial killer in the Midwest who killed more than six store clerks in the spring of 1992. Now, his nickname derives from the fact that several of the stores in which his victims worked were located a few miles off of Interstate I-70. Some of you may go, okay, he robbed a bunch of stores and killed the clerks. No, this guy wasn't killing people as he robbed stores. Taking the money was incidental, and he didn't take much of it at all. The whole reason he went into those stores was because he got off. He got off on the power control trip. He usually targeted stores where there would be one woman and he liked the power of putting the woman on her knees and shooting her in the back of the head, execution style. It is that modus operandi we have to be aware of. That certain target awareness, that look of what we're looking for in that type of human being 
that awareness in what he is choosing and how he is choosing to do it. That's what we're looking for. Because the money part, that is incidental to the case. He enjoys killing. And that's what makes him a heinous serial killer. Let's get into it. Now, as I'd said, his victims were usually young, petite, brunette women. Except for the time one of his victims was a man. But it's believed that the killer was expecting a woman due to the store having a woman's name on it. Also, the man was, he had long hair and was known to wear it in a ponytail and his back was to the killer. Now, all of the stores attacked their specialty stores. And when they were robbed, they were robbed of only a small amount of cash. Now, he is also suspected of shooting three more store clerks in Texas, but they haven't really corroborated the evidence yet. And this was during 1993 and 1994. One of the women did survive. Now, there is also another murder of a store clerk in Terre Haute, Indiana. And there is some startling evidence in that case. And the detective has been doing some amazing work. So I'm really excited to share that information with you. Now, despite the case being featured on Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, and Dark Minds, this killer has yet to be identified. Investigators have not publicly identified any suspects. So it's just really difficult that all of these years, this case seems to not have gone anywhere. But as I said, the store clerk's death in 2001 in Terre Haute, Indiana, I think that detective really glommed onto something there. Now, the killing spree began on April 8th of 1992. Now, that's when we think it began. But a lot of times, there could be something out there that we don't know. And that's where you guys come into play. Because you guys might be able to find other cases that match that investigators haven't come across. But this was the murder of 26-year-old Payless Shoe Source Manager Robin Foldauer. I hope I'm getting her name correct. And that was in Indianapolis, Indiana. She was alone in the store when she was shot. It was around 1.30 p.m. Her body was discovered in a storage room in the back of the store around 3 o'clock. And less than $100 had been stolen from the cash register. They didn't have a lot to identify at that time, and they didn't realize this was just the beginning. The next two murders occur on April 11th at the Labride de Elegance Bridal Shop here in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Patricia Smith, 23, and the store owners, 32-year-old Patricia Majors. As this was the only case involving multiple victims, Investigators believe the killer was under the impression that there was only one woman in the store. The women had stayed past the normal closing time of 6 p.m. to allow a male customer to pick up a cummerbund sometime after the usual store closing. 
The women allowed the killer into the store thinking he was the customer they were waiting for. After the women were murdered, execution style, the actual customer arrived to pick up the cummerbund and ended up coming face to face with the I-70 killer. The customer noticed the killer had a gun and the killer asked the customer to come with him to the back of the store. The customer refused. The killer tells them to just leave the scene. So this tells us another thing. The killer is intimidated by men. He's not intimidated by women. He had a gun, but he didn't use it on the man. He only used it on the women and he just told the guy, get the hell out of here. Something to keep in your brains. Had the customer cooperated with the killer, he almost certainly would have been murdered as well. The customer was so frightened, he didn't report the incident until more than an hour had passed. He later provided details for a composite sketch of the killer, describing the killer as a slender white man with reddish hair armed with an Uzi-style gun. Now, on April 27th, Michael McCowan, 40, was killed in his mother Sylvia's ceramic store in Terre Haute, Indiana, around 4 p.m. Michael McCowan's wallet, which had less than $50, was stolen from the store. No witnesses reported seeing the killer beforehand. McCowan was the only man killed during this spree, and it's believed by investigators that the I-70 killer chose the store because the store's solo woman's name, Sylvia's Ceramics. That made it seem like a good target. Also, McCowan was reported to wear his hair in a ponytail and he was shot from behind while kneeling to restock shelves. So we think the killer mistakenly thought he was a woman. Then on May 3rd, 24-year-old Nancy Kitzmiller she was killed while working alone at Boot Village. That's a footwear shop in St. Charles, Missouri. She had opened up the shop around noon and was found dead by customers at 2.30 p.m. She had been shot, again, in the back of the head. She was supposed to be off duty that day. However, she had agreed to come in so that a co-worker could have the day off. A little bit of money was taken from the cash register and although no one heard the shot, a witness did see her with her final customer just minutes before her death. And this sighting has also helped police create a composite drawing. Now, the final confirmed murder, that occurred on May 7th in Raytown, Missouri. The victim was 37-year-old Sarah Blessing. She was working in her gift shop a store of many colors. The murder occurred during the day and the owner of the video store next to the blessing shop saw the killer enter the shop. They heard a loud pop and then they saw him leave. They discovered Sarah Blessing's body after checking to see what had occurred when they heard the loud noise. Also, a clerk at a nearby grocery store also saw the suspect. He was climbing a hill towards I-70. He was climbing a hill. He wasn't driving. He was climbing a hill. So still wondering about the car. Must be parking somewhere else. So he's got some forethought. Now investigators believe the I-70 killer may be responsible for two murders in 1993. 
an attempted murder in 1994, all of which occurred in Texas. The two murder victims were 51-year-old Mary Ann Glasscock, who was killed on September 25, 1993, in Fort Worth at the Emporium Antique Store, and 22-year-old Amy Vess, who was shot to death in a dance apparel store in Arlington on November 1st. The surviving victim was Vicki Webb, 35. Now, she was shot on January 15, 1994 in Houston at an alternatives gift shop. She briefly talked to the shooter before he shot her in the back of the head. The bullet did not penetrate into Webb's head due to a large vertebrae being hit. The shooter attempted to shoot her again, but his gun misfired, and he left, presuming her to be dead. Now, the MO, or modus operandi, of the Texas killer, it's been very similar to that of the I-70 killer. Also, he used a 22 caliber firearm as well, the same caliber as the I-70 killer. A ballistics test determined that the gun used in the Texas murders, though, was not the same as the one used in the I-70 killings, however. So investigators have not been able to completely confirm that the I-70 killer was also responsible for the shootings in Texas. However, it's still in play. In November 2021, Terre Haute police announced that the I-70 killer was a possible suspect in the 2001 murder of 31-year-old liquor store clerk Billy Brossman. On the evening of November 30, 2001, Brossman was working alone at the 7th and 70 liquor store in Terre Haute. Security camera footage showed a white male suspect enter the store and pull a gun on Brossman and rob the cash register. The footage then showed the suspect lead Brosman to the back of the store and murder him with a single shot to the back of the head. The murder of Brosman occurred just seven blocks from the murder of Michael McCowan and was similar in modus operandi to the I-70 murders. Unlike in the I-70 murders, security footage of Brosman's killer exists and police have stated they may have a person of interest in the case. The murders were conclusively linked after a St. Charles detective suspected a connection. All of the murders were committed with a 22 caliber firearm, and the victims were usually petite young women with long dark hair. Aside from the Wichita murders, all the victims were alone. All were shot in the back of the head. None of the scenes had any signs of sexual assault. And while all the stores were robbed, robbery appeared to be a secondary motive as all the stores were small specialty businesses, which did not have much money. The murders took place at slow times of the day. When now, come on, based on witness testimonies, police are starting to strongly believe that these and the murder weapon, that it may have been an intratech scorpion. So we're going to have pictures of this 
an Intratech Scorpion pistol or an Irma Work ET-22 pistol. They have not, however, been able to rule out any other 22 caliber firearm models. The ammunition used in the killings was a 22 caliber CCI copper-clad lead bullets. The casings of the cartridges showed traces of Jeweler's Rouge. Going to repeat that one more time for my gun people out there. The casings of the cartridges showed traces of Jeweler's Rouge. Midwest authorities linked the killer to the shootings in Texas in 1994, but Texas authorities are not convinced of a connection as different guns were used in each spree. Like people can't have different guns. Come on, we know. Usually if you have one gun, and come on, multiple guns have been used multiple times by the same person. Now, Based on witness descriptions, investigators were able to produce two composite sketches of the killer and a physical description of the suspect. The I-70 killer was described as being a white man in his 20s or 30s, 5'7 to 5'9. He's tall, thin, thinnish. And having lazy eyelids. For those of you who don't really understand lazy eyelids, you know that kind of a sleepy-eyed guy. Um, Johnny Depp is kind of a sleepy-eyed guy. And sandy blonde or reddish hair. I'm not saying Johnny Depp did it. Johnny Depp is a beautiful guy. This guy isn't. But, you know, guys who have that kind of bedroom eye, sleepy-eyed guy. In 2021, the St. Charles Police Department published age-progressed versions of the original composite sketch, which we will have on our social media, to show what the killer may look like today. Investigators believe the killer is between 52 and 70 years old, if he's still alive. Police have not publicly identified any suspects and the case has been classified as a cold case. Cold case, unsolved case, which puts it directly in our wheelhouse, guys. Come on, all of my true crime citizen detectives. Law enforcement. And we have some amazing detectives. That St. Charles detective. I mean, there are some detectives who just aren't going to give up on this. They don't care if it's a cold case or not. They aren't going to quit. And they know it's true crime detectives like you. It's our sleuthers out there who aren't going to give up. Now, I gave several little pieces of information out there. And some of you guys, you know what it means. You can think about it. You can put it out there. And you can help us put these pieces together. These, This guy went out and he just started knocking off women. He took very little money. He did it because of the pure joy he had of putting women down on their knees, putting a gun to the back of their head, and pulling the trigger. I want to comment briefly on the homicides at the LeBride de Galligan's bridal shop that happened in Wichita, Kansas, and related to this case. 
on April 11, 1992. With it being the anniversary of that homicide, I definitely, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to cover this case. I was, as I was researching this case, I came across a Wichita Eagle article that was written in March of 2014. And it referenced Bob Trendle. Bob Trendle was the father of Patricia Smith. And it talked about how Bob Trindle kept a scrapbook of newspaper and magazine articles that chronicled the crimes of his daughter's murder and the I-70 serial killer. And about how the pages, it held no stories of closure, no talks of arrest, court convictions, or solid leads. And Trindle had told the Wichita Eagle that he didn't expect Patricia Smith's murder to be found in his lifetime because he had already waited 22 years for justice. And sadly, Bob Trindle never would find who had murdered his daughter because Bob Trendle passed away in 2018. And that, reading back through that, it truly broke my heart. Because he kept a scrapbook, watching and waiting for justice that he never saw come to fruition. And that just, there, there's one part in the article where it states that he said, basically, I've given up. It's frustrating to know that after 20 years, he's still out there. And again, the La Bride de Elegance was at 4613 East Kellogg here in Wichita, Kansas. And that's a location I go past whenever I'm going for my crumble cookies or going to my hair salon that you'll guys see me post about quite a bit. And then there was also a spot where it talked about Patricia Majors or Magers. I'm not quite sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. And it talks about how her husband, he tried to go back and reopen the shop and it, it just hurt his heart so much. And he ended up closing down the shop and it, it no longer stands there. And then it also, the article goes on to talk and it does an interview with Lieutenant Ogile. Now, we've discussed Lieutenant Ogile in a few cases and um, Lieutenant Ogile is, is a detective here in Wichita and he has worked with several cases here and, and he has done some amazing work, but in this interview, he says some things that, but I think there are times that, especially from back then to today, I think they need to hear their words repeated to him because I think sometimes in the moment, they don't realize what they're saying and that victims' families, they hear this. Now, Ojal had said detectives from the agencies investigating the I-70 killings, now, they met in October of 2013 to discuss the case. 
And what they had stated is that there's no real great theory out there. And he told the press that much. But remember, the families were reading this. And, and I know you don't want to give them false hope. But you got to give families something. And I think you have opportunities there. I think you have opportunities to come back and talk to your community. I think you have opportunities to engage your community and try to get your own community to talk to you. And in this article, I did not see that at all. I saw the Wichita Police Department talking at their community, and that is what I finally realized is my problem. They are talking at the community, but they're not talking to the community. They're not asking for tips. They're just telling us shit. Over the years, especially over 20 to 30 years, what they need to realize is people's short-term memory is crap. But as we get older, our long-term memory, things start coming back to us. If you start sharing these cases, if you start reminding people reenactments, reminding people, pulling these cases off the shelves, blowing the dust off and reminding people, replaying old films and reminding people about them. Marriages are broken these days. TikToks, Throwback Thursdays, all of that are reminding people of what they're used to be. And sometimes in those memories are nuggets of truth. And people will be willing to come back and talk about those if you give them a feeling of your willingness to listen. The comments that Ogile makes is he said, most of the time... Cases go cold because there's insufficient evidence or few to no witnesses offering investigators leads or suspects. They're very frustrating. We want the families to have closure. We want to be able to solve it. We want to take violent individuals off the streets. But, you know, they are cold cases for a reason. And that's how he ended that interview. Again, I, I want the Wichita Police Department, I really hope somebody is hearing me. Listen to yourselves. Are you engaging your community? Just pull a cold case off. Pull this one off. It is their anniversary. Somebody, there's a lot of squiffy things about this case. Yeah, this guy was transient. I'm sure he's somewhere else. But with social media and everything these days, if you share it, people will listen. People will engage with you. Please just share these cases. Engage with your community. I am begging you. We want to put something in the win column. We want to win with you guys. We don't want to do anything else. We want to work with you and we want to get the information out there. I feel 
so bad for Bob Trendle, who just waited for some sort of answer. And then for him to say in this article how he waited for 22 years for an answer, and he honestly didn't think he was going to get one. And then when the Wichita Eagle came out and he saw that the Wichita Police Department essentially agreed with them, I felt really bad for him. But I was really excited as we'll go on and we'll talk about cases. There are some detectives in the other towns who are disagreeing with this and they're trying really hard to solve this case. This guy needs to see justice. Let's pull together and try to help make it happen. Let's share the composite sketch. Let's share these out there and let's prove people wrong that we can work together and get these cases solved. Let's put one in the win column on a cold case. I want to see a cold case get solved by us banding together and putting this information out. Somebody calling a tip into our police departments because somebody is willing to put the information out there and say, hey, I got an answer for you. I want to thank you guys for listening. Remember, you can find Crime Scene and Cupcakes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. You name it, we're there.